Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Crime Waves. It's Declan. And this week, we're going to try to do something a little bit different because we get a fair number of comments to give you, the listener, some more details about my work and what I do both here at the university as an associate professor of investigations, but also what I did as an investigative journalist. So this week, we're broadcasting an interview that I did last week with colleagues. Uh, they're doing a series of programs on professors and staff at the university to showcase some of the people and talents that we have at the University of New Haven. And they were kind enough to invite me along. So you'll hear about my past work, uh, my current work on organized crime in sports, and a little bit about what I did in war zones and about infiltrating gangs of criminals. I do hope you like it, find it interesting. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, uh, do get in touch. And please, if you like the episode, subscribe or recommend it to friends. It's super, super appreciated. Cheers. See you soon. Hi, good everyone, and welcome to another edition of Charger 360. I'm J.W. Stewart, along with my co-host, Bruce Barber, and we're joined today by our guest, Declan Hill, who's an associate professor of investigations here at the University of New Haven. Declan, it's great to see you. Thanks for being here on the show. It's a great honor to be here, guys. Thanks. So, Declan, you might be the only person that I'm aware of, Oxford trained and educated, who's mm. running around here at the campus of the University of New Haven. It really isn't uh, uh, an everyday occurrence no. that you see an Oxford man <laughs> no. on campus. So, t I actually don't know the story. How did you end up coming from Oxford to here. Tell us a little bit about your past. Well, first, uh, let me let me change the paradigm about what you're thinking of Oxford. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of guys at row and wear bow ties and all that stuff, but we're really the uh, number one center for organized crime investigations. Um, and there's one specific um, department run by my supervisors, really the world expert in the Sicilian Mafia. He received a number of death threats as he's working on that. And the students at Oxford doing our doctoral research were pretty amazing. There was one guy who's a black belt in karate. He infiltrated into the Yakuza, the Japanese mafia. I infiltrated, as you know, a bunch of Asian match fixers who travel around the world fixing major sporting events, be it the World Cup of Soccer, be it tennis, be it all kinds of events. So I was in there while I was doing my doctoral research wearing hidden cameras, recording these guys as they're fixing games at the World Cup of Soccer. Yeah, I think it's important to let everyone know that you came from an investigative journalism mm -hmm. background in Canada. You, know, you go through Oxford, uh, you've written a couple of books, your expertise is match fixing. Um, in your research, both past and current, what have you found about match fixing and how prevalent that is in sports around the world? Brother, it's, it's a tsunami. Like, it's difficult to overstate how bad um, the challenge to sports integrity is now because the globalized sports gambling market is roughly 1.7 trillion dollars. Uh, they bet on 60,000 single sports events a day. Not 60,000 sports events a year, but in one day. So you have this flood of cash coming into badminton, table tennis, African soccer. And so right around the world are these games that previously weren't worth fixing, but now the match fixers are traveling and they're fixing them. So I got a call uh, four days ago, because I'm called around the world to, to comment and to help investigations. In uh, Brazil, they're fixing 14-year-olds' soccer matches. 
So that is this enormous tsunami of a challenge to sports integrity. It's coming to the United States with sports legalization. So I'm literally called around the world to do my work. And this is one of the things that I love to do with this <coughs> format is to basically, you're a great example of what we offer our students, which is someone who has uh, literally been boots on the ground. Yep, doing, it's the real deal. And that must be such a joy for you to share what you know with the next generation of yeah, investigators. I, I, look, I'm doing a fantastic course right now called The Code, Blood, Honor, and the Rules of the Mafia. And what I do with my students is I say, okay, here are all the rules of these organized crime groups, be it the Sicilian Mafia, be it Nadrangheta of Calabria, be it the Pirates of the Caribbean. You guys have seen the movie, you know, and they're talking about the Pirate Code. I actually found the Pirate Code. I found the rules. And you can see it's a similar rules to the current day mafia. So that's what my students investigate. That's what they look at. That's how they're looking at the stuff, is how these groups work and what they do. You mentioned that this is a, a big topic of conversation here in the United States because mm. sports gambling has been legalized by the Supreme Court since 2018. On one hand, many people believe this is a great idea because it's going to allow an influx of cash to states that need it, especially after COVID. But there's a dark side to this, of course. What, when, you, when you are called to talk about this with regard to legalization of sports gambling here in the United States, What's your message? Look, JW, as you know, I've testified by, before the U.S. Senate Committee on this. I was just in Europe testifying this at the European Parliament in Strasbourg. There is a tsunami of malarkey put out by bookmakers. Sports gambling for um, leagues is like dancing with the devil. It seems like a great idea. It seems like this amazing thing. How can we not lose? This is fantastic. But I've seen sports leagues around the world being killed off. Because all it takes is just a bunch of fans looking at the Philadelphia Eagles and going, hang on a second, was that call legitimate <laughs> or not? Doesn't mean that the call wasn't legitimate, yeah. but it just means that the fans are starting to doubt. And then they say, hang on a second, the NFL has an official bookmaker? Why, why does a sports <laughs> league have an official yes. bookmaker? And, and now the bookmaking has come onto the sports commentary, yeah. you Absolutely. Know, which is incredible. And I'm standing at the, you know, I'm at a Super Bowl party, and somebody's betting parlays. Somebody's like, I just made $23 because they hit the upright. Yeah. So, and I thought of you, you know, the fact that, and, and also there was a great episode of the New York Times podcast, The Daily, recently that talked about this and how quickly sports gambling, yeah, DraftKings and um, FanDuel. FanDuel, and it's ubiquitous now. And so I thought of you, and that's why we're so lucky to have you here. This is so of the moment. Listen, Bruce, the, the other thing to, be, to take a, a awareness of is nobody talks about when they lose a bet. They're always boasting when they win, but one of the guys that I was able to bring in, I'm bringing a team of sports integrity experts here because I really want to make, uh, you know, JW and I have talked about this at great length. Uh, I really want to make this a, a center of sports integrity. Uh, I've consulted with the National Football League. I go across to Europe to work with the European Soccer Association. Say, hang on a second, we can protect sport. Um, it's what I train my students to do. Um, so one of the guys that I brought in <clears throat> is a former top level uh, bookmaker uh, from Europe. And he ran a bookmaking operation with about a million customers. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool. How many of your customers made money? like over one year, 365 days, actually, you know, December 31st had made money from you. And he looks at me and he goes, well, maybe five. And I'm like, 
You mean 5,000? He goes, no, no, five, like five on my finger. So from one million customers, only five of them were able to make money. And that is the fantasy malarkey that the bookmakers are promoting to sports fans constantly that, hey, you can make money, you can do this, we're going to link up with the NFL and the MLB They're incentivized, they're giving you $100 in yeah. free bets, right, just to make that, to, to give them your credit card and, and make that first And it's the same tactic that the local drug dealer does. The local drug dealer is super friendly, is like, hey, come on, try my product. Because gambling is addictive, and gambling is particularly addictive to that dangerous demographic of young males between the ages of 14 and 35. And it's one of the things that I talk to the students about is that there are hundreds of thousands of gambling addicted teenagers, like under 17. Not guys that have just wandered into a website or wandered into a betting shop, but are actually screwing up their mind at 15, 16 because they're actually addicted. It's an appalling problem. I am very strongly in support of legalized gambling, but I think we as Americans have to start having an adult conversation about it. Yeah, it seems many times that we're valuing profits over people, yeah. certainly in this situation. So in the interest of full disclosure, uh, Declan was one of my graduate school professors here. I took two classes with him, so I, I know a, a, a good point. And you got A++ in both courses. pretty well. I'll let Bruce pat me on my <laughs> back. Teacher's yeah. <laughs> No, 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 you're really good. You're really good. Well, thank yeah. you. I learned a lot because during my time at ESPN and NBC, as you alluded to before, this stuff was never talked about. Absolutely never. Because Absolutely it was not never. legal. Yeah. Um, you know, broadcasters, certain broadcasters would mention it. You know, if someone missed the field goal, that's a push to the left, yes. you know, to kind of sneak things in. But now it's so completely out in the open. You've put yourself in some really precarious positions yes. as an academic and an investigator. What story or stories can you tell us where your life, you feared for your life? Well, there have been a bunch. I, I was a, a, a war correspondent for some time, uh, but there was one particular case. I remember when I really got into this discussion about the existential threat to sports, and that was when I was in Moscow interviewing the head of the Russian mafia. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I remember at the end of the interview, which was overlooking the Kremlin, the office was uh, bombed by another mafia organization about six weeks after that um, uh, interview, completely destroyed. So he invited myself and the film crew to uh, a Georgian restaurant with him and uh, later that evening. And the camera crew was just like, hey, we don't want to show up. Like, we don't get paid to do this. And myself and my senior colleagues said, look, as journalists, when the head of the Russian mafia invites you to dinner, you'd better show up. Yeah. So we show up. It was pretty full-on experience. And in the middle of this discussion with the head of the Russian mafia, I'm kind of stuck, JW, for, like, what do you say? I'm like, so... Uh, <laughs> Whatever yeah. the head of the <laughs> Russian mafia wants you to say. Uh, yeah, um, and, and to, to backtrack a little bit, I was there because I was working with PBS Frontline on the very strong business links between key star players in the National Hockey League and these Russian mobsters. There was no doubt these guys were what we would describe in America as mobbed up, even while they were playing in the National Hockey League. So I turned to the head of this, you know, the Mafia Godfather and said, so I guess you like soccer. Uh, sorry, I guess you like hockey. And he goes, yeah, hockey's okay, but I love soccer. Mm -hmm. And he starts telling the story of how he's at the VVIP box in Pasadena for the final of the World Cup. And he's not just in the VVIP box with Al Gore, Hillary Clinton, all these big celebs. He's in the front row. And I'm like, how do you get there? This is like standing next to the Pope on Easter Sunday at the Vatican as he's blessing me. Like, this is symbolically one of the great moments of sport. 
around the world. So that was really where I went down the rabbit hole and started really looking at sports integrity and, and looking at those kind of things. There have been a number of other similar kind of interviews that I've done. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was another meeting with another match fixer, so I continue to do this work. And this now, so you got to take courses from Declan. Mm -hmm. Now I want to take yeah. one. And, you know, so <coughs> that's what uh, kind of makes me feel good about the experience that we offer our mm. students here is that uh, it sounds like yours would be a, a really a super interesting class to attend. Look, I, I think legalized sports gambling, as we've been talking about in this conversation, is here. It's fundamentally altering the societal structure of America. It's as big as the end of prohibition. Wow. I've lived in the UK. I've seen the number of betting shops. There are more betting shops in the UK than there are Starbucks. This is going to fundamentally affect our society, and it's fundamentally going to affect many of our students and many of our athletes because they're in that demographic, 14 to 35. As JW knows as well, I've pioneered a course in eSports corruption looking at the corruption in esports and that's like that's extraordinary that's absolutely extraordinary yeah it's extraordinary for a lot of levels because the number one it's easy to throw a match in esports how would you ever know absolutely you know if someone's playing video games against someone else if they you know took a dive let's say because they hit the wrong button or they just and, weren't weren't quick on the trigger and and the guys working in that field it's kind of like tennis, which has a massive match-fixing mm -hmm. problem as well, in that the top 20 make an enormous amount of money, and then you hit this, this edge of the cliff, and you just fall off. Mm -hmm. So if you're 21, 22, best eSports, Counter-Strike, global offensive player in the world, or a tennis player, you're really struggling. So the temptation to fix is so big. That it just, it's incredible, and, and again, what a great resource for our students. And just, we have a little time left, but so, in, in just briefly in a minute or two, yes. uh, you alluded to earlier that, you know, there are ways to fix this problem. Mm -hmm. So what's kind of the uh, thumbnail of that? Well, one of the things that we teach our students is in the sports gambling class, we can monitor the sports gambling market so that when there's suspicious odds on a game, we can signal it. So a number of my students have got major jobs, uh, one is actually uh, covering the NFL to make sure there's not suspicious fixed matches in the NFL. We taught him how to do this and, and those kind of skills. Um, so that's what I do. I really teach my students how to fight against this and how to better protect sport. Yeah, because if you lose the integrity of sport, the sport itself crumbles. Absolutely. And, and, and as you know, JW, I love sport. Mm -hmm. I've risked my life for sport. And so, for me, this is super, super important that we protect the integrity of sport for our next generation. We can hand on these beautiful things. You know, uh, you know. Also, Declan's a pugilist. Yes. Uh, are a, you, what is your record in fighting? I've always wondered that. There um, is, if you if you search, you do a Google, Google search, you'll come up with at least one video that I've come across. Yeah, of you it's, fighting. it's it's a famous fight in Canadian political history because it's where Justin Trudeau's really became prime minister. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was regarded as kind of a wimpy um, son of a famous guy. And then he fought in a white collar about for cancer, um, uh, a politician from the right wing mm -hmm. thing. So they fought. Everybody across the country watched it. Like everybody watched it. And by sheer chance, I was fighting in the fight before. Mm -hmm. So my fight was at 945 against the owner of a local uh, nightclub. I went to Cuba. I trained with their national team. and I you know, won my victory, won my round, and then the next one was the fight that everyone remembers in Canada. That's where Justin Trudeau won his fight, won the boxing fight, killed off his reputation as being a wimpy guy, and is now Prime Minister of our country. Yep. 
So you won a big fight there, and you continue to win a big fight here, hopefully, in the, in the fight for sport, yes. the integrity of sport. So we're, we're lucky to have you here at the University of New Haven. And you know, if you come to the University of New Haven as a student, you get a chance to take a class with Professor Declan Hill, by all means do so. Uh, this has been Charger 360, telling the stories of the University of New Haven. Declan, thanks for being here. We really Thank appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. Thank really you, appreciate it. Thank you, guys. For Declan, for Bruce, I'm J-Dub. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.